0: Morning Journey, happy 2015, really good to be with every single one of you, especially if you're a guest today, delighted to be with you in the presence of God together as the family today. Uh, I hope you rang in the new year in fantastic fashion. I watched a movie about Denzel Washington uh, and everyone dies, and uh, at about 11 I went to bed, I hope you rang it in more uh, celebratorily. Is that a word? Then I did. Uh, My friend and former college professor Tony Campolo, he frequently cites a sociological study that I know I've talked a bit with you about over the years. It wasn't an enormous study, but the results, at least to me, were quite stunning. Maybe you'll find it so. Someone went to 50 people over the age of 95, 50 people over the age of 95, and asked them one question. If you could live your life over again... What would you do differently? If you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? That was it. Really simple question, quite an open-ended question, to which the 50 elderly study participants were allowed to respond in unstructured ways. And yes, absolutely, as Dr. Campolo reports, a multiplicity of answers came from these eldest of senior citizens. However, there were three answers that reemerged and reemerged and reemerged, dominating the results of the study. And for our purposes today, only one of those answers really matters to us. And it was the first answer in the list of three that reemerged and reemerged and reemerged. You know what it was? If I had it to do over again, I would reflect more. If I had life to live all over again back from the very beginning to this point in time right now at age 95 when I'm really looking forward to what's next, I'd reflect more. I'd spend more time reflecting on the things in this life that really, really matter. And you think about, of all the ways that those 50 elderly respondents could have answered The question, that one, if I had it to do over again, I would reflect more, showed up again and again and again and again and again across 50 respondents. Now that answer is pretty spectacular. It's spectacular because it came from people who had a really, really good handle on what life is all about, didn't it? Those 95-year-olds, their perspective really, really matters. Their insight gives us like crystal clarity about how we can and should live this life with maximum joy, maximum satisfaction, maximum spiritual insight. If I had it to do over again, I would reflect more. Quite an answer. So, in light of what those elderly study participants are trying to tell us, I want us Together today uh, to share in a little reflective exercise of our own. And to set this exercise up for you, I want to give you a little insight about some things that we know as we sit here together today. In case you didn't notice, today is January 4th, 2015. January 4th, 2015. That means that we're just four days into. A brand new year. The year is so new that I'll bet a whole bunch of you, if you're anything like me, are still writing 2014 on things that you have to, right? Anybody with me in that? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? We're just four days into 2015. Four days into 2015. And here's where the reflection bit comes into play. What I'd like you to do with the help of the Lord is to look forward 361 days from now. Look forward 361 days from now. I want you to look forward to the end of the year that just began, December 31st, 2015. And I just invite you to ask the Lord this very simple question right now Lord, what's the thing that you most want to change? In me this year? Lord, what's the thing that you most want to change in me this year? Lord, what's the thing that you most want to change in me this year? Now, hang on just a second. I'm going to turn you, actually, turn you loose to reflect on this with the Lord. But before I turn you loose to go there with the Lord, I want to say this. It's a bit of a daunting task, isn't it? To ask the Lord that question Lord, what is the thing that you most want to change in me in 2015 is a bit of a daunting task. It is not for the faint. Of heart, Because why? There's a lot to survey. There's a lot to inventory. There's much of our lives to reflect on with the Lord. And it can be quite scary to be so introspective with God, to be vulnerable enough with him to consider asking him that question. God, what might you want to do with that bit of me? Or God, what might you want to do with that bit of me? God, how might you want to root that out of me? God, how might you want to bend that bit of me more and more and more toward yourself, God? How just might you, God, want to change me this year? It can be frightening. But let me invite And let me encourage and let me challenge you to go there with the Lord anyway. To take a moment and go there with the Lord anyway. Step out, if you will, with a sort of holy boldness and go to the very issue that the Lord himself is raising. Not just the issue that you think, not just the issue that you imagine, not just the issue or the thing or the circumstance that you hope, But go to the issue that the Lord himself is raising with you. And I'm going to tip my hand here. And I'm going to tell you that perhaps the place that the Lord will take you just might be your place of greatest fear, deepest hurt, most entrenched habit. And ask him to take the fear and ask him to heal the hurt and ask him to untangle you from that habit and change you. Change that very thing lord what's the thing that you most want to change in me this year what's the thing lord that you most want to change in me this year i'm going to give you some time to reflect on that with the lord ready set go Lord, what's the thing that you most want to change in me this year? That felt like an eternity, didn't it? It was just three minutes. It's just three minutes. But it feels like longer than that, doesn't it? And then, in what may be the most brave piece of that exercise, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. is I'm going to ask you to grab a slice of paper, a piece of paper, a notes app in your phone. And you're not going to turn this in. This is just for you. Would you write down, again, just for yourself, would you just acknowledge with the Lord that you heard his voice on this matter, that you heard his answer to that question that you posed to him? And would you acknowledge that with the Lord by just writing down the answer to that question? Grab an information card or notes page or something. And just record the answer that you heard from the Lord about the one thing that you believe that God wants to change in you by the end of 2015. What's the thing? The answer to the question that you pose to God. And I do, as you're writing, I want to say that it's really tempting in exercises like this to reflect on and write down stuff that you want God to change in all the other people in your life, right? Right? Like, man, God, it would be really awesome if you tapped him or her on the shoulder and changed that or that or that in them and them, right? Some spouses begin to do the musical elbow thing, you know. This isn't about anyone else. It's just about you hearing directly from God all about you, right here. The thing that God wants to change in you in your heart, in your soul, in your emotional being, in your life, what's the thing that God wants to do most of all in you, change in you by the end of 2015? And here's what we know, good job writing that down, way to go. Getting back to that sociological study, what those elderly people in that study realized was that they had not paid proper attention to the things in life that were the very most important. And I know it's really easy for us to nod our heads in agreement, you know, sort of kindly nod at what the elderly people say. Hmm, those old folks sure have some important stuff to say, right? To sort of patronize them, the quaint ideas of some old people. But their view really deserves for us really careful attention, and here's why. Because the heart of the matter of the thing that you wrote down, the thing that you heard from God, the heart of the matter is a matter of your heart. Very plainly and very simply. Meaning that at the very core of the thing that God wants to change in you and me by the end of 2015, the thing you just wrote down is all a matter of what you allow and invite the Lord to do in your heart, period. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And what I believe is that most everyone listening to me today could very, very easily explain what it was that Jesus Christ did on the cross. I believe that everyone who's listening to me today with just a handful of words could proclaim that Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, was put to death on the cross all because of our sin, my sin, your sin, the collective sin of all of Humanity, really, quite casually, most people can point out the Orthodox Christian view that each person, every person, is deserving of punishment from God, but that Jesus stood in for us, taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself. How many times? After all, have you heard the story about how Jesus endured the condemnation that every single one of us deserved for what we have done? We've all heard it again and again and again and again. And we hear the word gospel. And we understand that that word means good news and we have come to understand that the good news comes to us in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 like this. So now this is the really good news. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That is remarkable news, isn't it? None of us are condemned for one reason and one reason alone because Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, stood in our place and invited upon himself the condemnation and the punishment that every single one of us desperately deserves. The punishment and condemnation that we actually earned ourselves. Ourselves. And while I believe that most everyone who's hearing my voice today knows what happened on the cross, one of the, thing that, one of the things that I think often gets overlooked is that in our normal, everyday, human optimism will not solve our deep-seated sin problem. It just can't. How many people approach following Jesus as if they're sort of interviewing God for a job? Checking him out to see if he's up to the challenge of being Lord of my life. Will he give me everything that I hope and dream and sort of be like the whipped cream on top of everything I've got going on? Lots and lots of people approach God in sort of a kicking the tires kind of way. Is God going to work for me or not? Is there a better option out there for me? Something other, something different, something maybe not so hard and bloody and challenging. And can I just say that's not the way to approach God. Not at all the way to approach God, as if we're sort of interviewing him, as if we're sort of kicking the tires. God, are you up to making my life everything that I think it should? That's not at all the deal. When I was cutting my teeth in ministry, there was a 15-year-old young man named Casey. And Casey moved to Billings, and he became part of the youth ministry that I was a part of leading. When I asked Casey one day what brought him to town, he told me that the far northeast Montana town where he was from was too far away from Denver. I moved to Billings because the town where I'm from is too far away from Denver. He had me, right? Too far away from great shopping in Denver you like the Broncos, you got, no, 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 he said, it's too far away from Denver, even by plane, and that I am actually required to be no more, 15-year-old kid, to be no more than 90 minutes from Denver because my heart is failing, he said. Now he really had my attention. Brian, I need a heart transplant, and I'm nearing the top of the list to receive a donor heart. And I've got to be at Denver Children's Hospital no more than 90 minutes after I get the call. That was the other thing I noticed in the early 1990s. There wasn't many 15-year-old kids who carried cell phones and pagers, and he had both. Whoa. i got to be in Denver no more than 90 minutes after I receive the call that my new heart's waiting for me in Denver. It was a really sobering conversation, 15-year-old kid. You're like, holy cow. I never would have noticed that there was anything wrong with Casey but I began to notice after he told me little things. We'd go shoot hoops after youth group together. And I noticed that even with the slightest exertion on his part caused his lips to turn the brightest color blue you've ever seen. In, I'd never noticed it before. And then when he told me about his heart failing, I, I, I noticed it. And the first time I saw it happen, I freaked out. Casey, what? what? And I'm pointing and trying not to make a scene. What's happening Are you okay? What? He calmly asked. I said, your lips, literally, it looks like you've got bright blue lipstick on. Oh, yeah, sorry. He said, that happens. I said, why does that happen? He said, my heart, it can't pump enough blood fast enough when I move around shooting hoops or when I exert myself in just about any way, and so they do that, it's okay. It's been happening like since I was the littlest of, I was like, oh my gosh. Casey's heart was bad. Casey's heart was really, really bad. I don't remember who it was who called to tell me about the surgery after it had happened. It was a mom or a brother, as I recall. And they said, Brian, and I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little graphic here for a moment. He said, the surgeon said when he came out of the operating room, he had never seen anything like what he saw when he opened up Casey's chest. He said the surgeon went to grab his heart, a heart that was still functioning at this point in time. When Casey went into the hospital, his heart was still functioning. The surgeon went to grab his heart and remove it from his chest. You talk about a powerful moment. The surgeon went to grab Casey's heart and remove it from his chest. It literally, and I'm sorry, it came apart in his hands. They took Casey's heart out of his chest in little pieces. Because it came apart in it. But it was still working. Astounding. Casey's heart was that bad that it came out of his chest in little pieces. And here's the thing. Our heart, every single one of us, is just as bad. Our heart, every single, not the one that pumps blood, the seed of our being I'm talking about. It's that bad. Scriptures tell us that the heart is what? Deceitful above all things. Our heart is like that. Bad, which means any of us thinking that we can interview God for the job of being Lord of our life or kicking the tires of faith in him, it cannot be the deal. We require a heart transplant. Every single one of us. A heart transplant performed by God himself. The kind that Ezekiel talks about in chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's what every single one of us needs And God doing that kind of heart surgery, heart transplant surgery in us, God taking out and removing our stony, stubborn heart and giving us a tender, responsive heart, please hear me. It is not even close to being a one and done thing. It is not even close to being a one and done thing. That process Is an everyday, every single day ongoing thing. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart every single day. We don't just get there because we prayed a prayer once, we don't just get there because we raised our hand once. It's an every single day thing. And here's what that means for the thing that you wrote down, the thing that God wants to most change in you and me this year. See, in order for God to do that, in order for God to accomplish that thing, in order for God to render the change that he hopes to render in you by the end of 2015, just 361 days from today, if you're counting That transforming, heart transplanting, heart tenderizing work that he wants to do in us requires each of us, every single one of us, to set ourselves into the posture of submission to him every single day. Every single day. Lord, please change me. Lord, please soften me. Lord, please transform me. Lord, please do in me what only you can do. Lord, please replace my stony, stubborn heart and give me, please, a tender, responsive heart. Please. It's not, a, I gave my heart to Jesus and now I'm good. It's in every single day, crawling up onto the altar of submission to him, setting our hearts into a posture of submission to him. Lord, please. And it's a posture of remarkable humility, isn't it? Remarkable humility. In the scene of Jesus' baptism, we pick up the story. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. It just sort of rolls off the tongue as if this happens every single day, that Jesus goes from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. It's really quite a stunning sentence. Now look what happened. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. You sort of picture this awkward scene, Jesus and John. John's in the water and Jesus walks down into the water and John's going like, what is going on here? This is the one who I'm not even worthy to tie the laces of his sandals and why is he standing in this water getting ready for me to dunk him? Why? So why are you coming to me, John asks. But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God, we've got to do this, John. We have got to do this, everything that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him, like, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to do this. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. John was absolutely stunned to find Jesus standing down in the water asking him, would you please baptize me? we got to do this, John. And why was John so stunned by that? Because he saw himself as less than Jesus. John saw himself as less than Jesus. And that doesn't sound all that novel. But it's an incredible place to live, isn't it? for us to see ourselves as less than Jesus and to live in that posture every single day of our lives. I'm less than Jesus. And you're less than Jesus. And we're together less than Jesus. And we need Jesus. And so we step down into the water, the purifying water of Jesus Christ and we say, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, wash over us with your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and your love and your compassion and your justice and your hope. Wash that over us because we are less than you and we do desperately, desperately need you. And that thing that you wrote down on that piece of paper or in your notes app, the thing that God wants to most change in you this year, if God has a hope of getting that done in you or in me, we must constantly see ourselves as less then Jesus, desperately in need of Jesus, and we must every single day wake up and humbly ask him to meet us in the purifying water of himself. And Jesus, have your way with us. Jesus, have your way with us when we're at our very weakest, when we're at our most vulnerable, when we think there's no hope, we are less than Jesus. I invite you to take your stuff, if you would, and set it aside. And I just invite you to continue in that posture of reflection with the Lord, if you would. I'm gonna ask for the lights to dim down a bunch more dim than they are right now. Just keep dimming those lights. Just keep dimming those lights. Stage lights too if you would. can see anything in here, which is good. Here's what I want you to do. Just as an act of declaration to the Lord, an act of submission to the Lord, you don't have to do this. I'm just going to invite you, if you would, to take that thing that you wrote down, that thing that God wants to most change in you this year. I'm just going to ask you to hold it up above your head. We got a piece of paper, you got a notes page, you got an info card, you got something written on, you got, I'm just going to ask you to hold it up as an act of declaration to the Lord. You don't have to, no pressure, Look, it's dark, there's no peer pressure in this room. would you just, in the quiet of this moment, would you just ask the Lord to please do that thing? God, please do that thing in me that you most want to do, that you've spoken, God, that I've heard, that I've written down, that I've recorded, that I've, that I'll never forget. This thing, God, that you want to do, do it, please. And just tell him that you need a heart transplant. Tell him that you're meeting him there in the water because you need him to purify you and wash over you and cleanse you. Jesus, please do all of these things that we're holding up above our heads right now. Have your way with us because you are more Jesus and we are less